This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This meeting is being recorded. Well, hello, everyone. I am Bat Williams Guy here for yet another episode, and we have some returning guests tonight, and uh, we'll go with uh, Miss Jamie Meyer first, because ladies first. Jamie, tell everyone hello and who you are. Hi, I am Jamie Meyer. I am from central Oklahoma, and I own a firearms business called Oklahoma Gun Training, and I mostly concentrate on women, um, getting more women involved in the shooting sports. And I'm um, helping them with uh, self-protection in many different forms. Thank you. Right. Mr. Dobbs. Um, my name is Wayne Dobbs, and I am a retired law enforcement officer out of the Dallas area. I spent 25 years uh, with a suburban department there. I have been a firearms trainer for, I hate to say it, for over 40 years. And uh, I currently work uh, for a major company in the gun industry in their law enforcement sales division. All right, Mr. Moses, and after you introduce yourself, kind of tell everybody about this episode because it was your brainchild. Uh, absolutely. Uh, my name is Steve Moses. Uh, I am a co-owner and director of training for Palisade Training Group. I've been a defensive farms trainer for nearly 30 years. Uh, I was a reserve law officer. I was on a special response team for 10 years. I was reserve uh, deputy for 18 years. Uh, I'm licensed in the state of Texas. As a level four personal protection officer instructor in Texas, you have to have a level four personal protection officer license in order to conduct executive protection, dignitary protection. Uh, I actually uh, licensed to teach that. I currently am a content contributor for CCW Safe. Uh, I'm also a content contributor for the Farm Trainers Association and a uh, customer support representative. And uh, this is something that I've been doing for a long time. Uh, I've always had kind of a fascination uh, with uh, the defensive use of firearms to protect lives. A uh, big part of it stemmed from an incident that happened when I was about 27 years old, when I caught a burglary, a burglary, I caught a burglar in my apartment living room at 3 a.m. in the morning. And after it was over, I decided that I needed to go out there and get some education because I thought about everything that transpired and it was a wonder I hadn't gotten stabbed with a screwdriver. And so that kind of sent me down a path. And at this point now, I'm kind of like all these others, uh, followed many of the same paths they have. And all of us are range master, uh, handgun instructors of various levels. And so the reason that I proposed this particular podcast to you was that I listened to you, your most recent one where you all were talking about uh, handguns or firearms that might be best for use for, for home defense. And when I listened to that, I really kind of got to thinking about all the things that perhaps uh, armed homeowners should give consideration to more so than initially just what firearm I have. So I actually wrote some of this stuff down. And so I'll just go ahead and go over it. You know, my thoughts are uh, as a, armed homeowner, uh, what firearms do I possess? Uh, what firearms do I possess 
that I have a, you know, an uh, efficient and effective skill level with. Uh, what's the layout of my residence? What are my, what are the exterior walls comprised of? Will they stop incoming and outgoing bullets or will they allow them to penetrate? Uh, what about my exterior, lay my interior layout? Uh, obviously, most everything inside a home is going to be concealment, not cover. It won't stop bullets. And do I have other persons in my house that I need to be concerned about, not only about them being struck by perhaps an errant round, or do I need to leave wherever I am and then get to them? Uh, little things. Do I have good ambient lighting through my house, or do I need some sort of uh, weapon-mounted light or handheld light? And if it's going to be one of those, uh, obviously, uh, I probably would need to have a handheld light. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to be probably masking everything that I'm trying to clear with that light if the weapon, excuse me, if that flashlight is mounted to the muzzle. And so there's a lot of things that I think that armed homeowners uh, need to give consideration to. And I knew that Jamie, uh, she's done a lot of the same classes that I have. Her path has paralleled mine and more so uh, she does a lot of um, teaching women, uh, mostly women, correct, Jamie? Uh, yes. that are in many ways, uh, you know, as a gateway instructor, even to more advanced level, but she's more in touch with how women might look at a home defense problem than a man that says, well, I'll just grab a gun. I'll grab my 30-30 and I'll just deal with it. And of course, I've known, God, known Wayne forever. And <laughs> I knew that he had experience uh, expressly in investigating burglaries. And so I knew in addition to, you know, anything else, that he might touch on that I had mentioned. He also had a lot of experience in investigating uh, burglaries and could bring some insight to play. So that, sir, that was the impetus for my, my reaching out to you and proposing this podcast. All right. Well, let, let's go to Jamie. And Jamie, if you would uh, kind of outline the what you hear from your clients as to what they think a burglary looks like or a home invasion looks like to them. And what are their concerns with it? For the most part, um, I actually knew that this was coming up. So, and I just had a meeting with my lady. So I was able to visit with them again on this and just kind of, kind of get some more feedback again from some of the newer ones that have just recently stepped into the training world with me. Um, for the most part, um, what I got back was that they were concerned that it would be a stranger or it would be someone that follows them on social media because we're so active on social media, especially whenever we're out training or traveling or anything like that. So that was their, their two, two hot topics for them. Um, and honestly, all of my female um, ladies, they, they don't look for an AR platform is for home defense, nor do they look for a shotgun for home defense. Their go-to guns are always handguns in a variety of calibers. Um, and it is something that they can easily access and something that they can, they feel confident with um, getting the shots a lot sooner and um, being accurate. Um, most of them also mentioned that uh, they don't have a plan, um, which is now something on my list for next year <laughs> for them, but um, on how, how to help them 
you know, strategize those type of things because they do look for their spouses to help them. And they just assume that if something goes wrong that their spouse will be there. But after we were talking over the weekend, many of them kind of are reconsidering that now that, you know, he probably wouldn't be here because he'd probably be at work and I would be here by myself. So, you know, I think the wheels are turning a lot more especially for us women, because I know I overanalyze a lot of things and I am completely different than most of the women that I train. So I never feel like my answer is the same as theirs. All right. Uh, Wayne, you spent a long, long time uh, catching burglars and solving burglaries. Uh, if you would offer some insight on what are common burglary scenarios, what are some myths that just don't hold up uh, and anything, any kind of insight you've got for us. Okay, well, I spent uh, my patrol time catching burglars in the act or catching them after the act, sometimes before the act. Uh, we call that a green burglar. And uh, you'd, you'd know what they're going to do and couldn't do much about them. Uh, <clears throat> the last two years of a 25-year career were perhaps two of the most miserable years of my life. Certainly, they're the worst years of the career uh, when I was assigned to burglary and theft. And... It was, it was a tsunami of cases, uh, and it was so bad that you, uh, you hated being on days off or a holiday or vacation day because you knew your box was filling up with cases. So that I say that so that people can have a context about if they are a burglary victim, that you are probably going to be tended to by the most overworked unit in the whole police department, wherever you are. Uh, holding 60, 70 cases was nothing uh, at, at, a, at a time. Uh, the scenarios. The common one is the daytime the daytime burglar looking to, uh, to get into or break into a dwelling uh, that he is reasonably certain or absolutely certain nobody is home at. Uh, very little personal danger to, uh, to the citizen victim of the, the burglary because the, most of the burglars like that take particular pains of one sort or another to uh, eliminate anybody being at home. Uh, usually the common one we talked about before we got started is they'll come and knock on the door and they'll have a cover for status story uh, that if, uh, you know, if somebody does answer, they'll say they're looking for Aunt Jenny. Uh, they heard that she, she lived there or some, you know, some kind of cock and bull story just to get them away from there. If they don't get an answer, uh, then they'll typically, uh, the, the two common entries were, if they don't get an answer, uh, they kick in the front door. More commonly, they go around and kick in a back door and, and do their burglaries. That's why I've, I've always thought that it's important if you're at home and there's a knock on the door, maybe you don't want to open the door, that's fine, but you should at least give some kind of verbal interchange with them to let them know that somebody is home and, and they should go away at that point. That's, that's the, the careful burglar, uh, the drug addicted burglar, uh, the sex offender burglary. Uh, they are, they may be actively looking for a confrontation, uh, especially the sex offender. They're looking to commit a, a sexual assault and those will oftentimes be nighttime burglars, uh, while people are asleep in the house, usually a single woman. But I remember some we had where they would, uh, they would do the pretext knock at the door. And once they verified that a potential victim was in there, then they would force their way in. Uh, 
that's that one. And then the third one is it's burglary in Texas. Uh, and I'm sure it is everywhere else, although you're going to charge robbery with it. And that is the straight up home invasion where usually two or more people kick a door down uh, and go in and uh, rob the occupants, sometimes rape them, sometimes kill them. So that's, that's kind of the categories that you see all these fall into uh, across the board. There's obviously other things. There's, there's the juvenile, you know, not too committed burglar that'll, uh, if you leave a door unlocked, we'll, we'll walk in and see if they can steal something. But the, the three I described are the main ones. Yeah. Um, the first one being the trying to find an occupied home is the most common, correct? Yes. During the daytime, normally. Uh, don't normally see those taking place uh, in the evening or at night. Although, I'll, I'll throw some exceptions for you on that one. And that is, <clears throat> uh, we've had some pretty good burglars that would establish when someone was going to be uh, at a funeral, at a wedding, at a high school football game. Uh, some other event like that knew they were going to be at church uh, that those people would take advantage of a known schedule event on somebody's calendar to uh, to make entry into the home whether it be daytime or evening time or nighttime to commit their offense with that that goes to something that, that Jamie mentioned one of the fears is you know people stalking them on social media and coming so that one suggestion I would have there is don't post where you're going to be or maybe not even post pictures while you're there. It's like when you get home, Hey, I just got home from my beach trip and here are the pictures versus pictures of the beach trip while you're at the beach. Or I can't wait till next week when we go, go to Corpus Christi or wherever uh, you're putting, putting all that information out there. Um, well, I can't remember the exact number, but the solvability on a burglary is below 20%, is it not? Oh, almost always. Uh, if you have somebody cracking 20%, they're doing a great job. Now, sometimes you'll get on, sometimes you'll, you'll catch a burglar or burglars and they will, uh, as part of, uh, an agreement, they will clear up all their cases, mm -hmm. uh, in exchange for being prosecuted for a minimal number of them, usually one or two. And we've had people, I, I've had people clear dozens. I remember when I was in patrol, they caught some burglars that cleared up hundreds of cases. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I that, want, that makes your numbers look better. I want to say the national average is somewhere around 15% or somewhere, somewhere between 15 and 20. Something like that. 13, 13% seems to stick in my head. I don't know why. Right. Um, folks, if you don't have the serial numbers for your Xbox, for your TV, pictures of your grandmother's jewelry, all that kind of thing, some sort of documentable evidence, there's not that much of a way to track it after it's been stolen. Uh, you know, I can go to a pawn shop and there's 20 more Xboxes lined up on the, on the shelf there that somebody's come in there and pawned. If you can't distinguish it between yours and those, there's no way to make a case from that, see who came in and pawned uh, the item. And that's if someone's trying to get rid of the property during those, those type channels. If they're trading it for stuff on the street, it's never going to cross those paths. Um, 
yeah, that's some way of marking your property. Get, get like a, a UV pen or marker and write some sort of identifier on the back of TVs, electronics, stuff like that. Take pictures of your jewelry, document it, anything like that, that, that would help. You know, my gold ring was stolen. We catch somebody three nights later during a burglary and we go do a search warrant at their, you know, their crash pad and there's gold rings there. Well, if we can't, you know, match that to your burglary, it's going to be kind of hard to solve it. Uh, just, just some frustrations from my detective days coming out there. Well, also remember, and the thing that was most frustrating uh, is that people would have firearms stolen, perhaps a bunch of them. And they didn't have any idea what the serial numbers. I mean, you can yeah. try to reconstruct some of it if yeah. you can, if it, they came out of dealers, you know, in the recent past mm -hmm. that you can talk to them, but, but not having a, a complete list of firearms for sure is just downright irresponsible. Yeah. yeah. All right, Steve, uh, you mentioned in the intro that uh, you have actually confronted a burglary in your home. If you would kind of give some details of that. Uh, yes, sir. I was uh, living in an apartment complex in uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, this was back in the early 80s. Uh, we were notified that a burglar had been hitting homes or, or apartments out there in that complex. And I thought, well, I need to get ready for it. So I, I had a background, I, you know, owned pistols and other farms growing up. We have farms out in western Oklahoma. So I went to the local Gibsons and uh, bought myself a uh, Ruger Security 6, 6-inch, 357 Magnum, took it out to one of our farms, and I uh, shot a tire rim with 125-grain uh, uh, hollow point, and the bullet went right through it. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. You know, uh, I didn't know anything really about how handgun bullets work. So go back and uh, told my wife, I said, okay, we're in a one-bedroom apartment. If somebody comes in, I'm going to put my revolver right up here. Uh, my bathrobe's over there. I'm going to close the door. Uh, I'm going to hold the door shut. And then if they come in here, uh, get my revolver, and I'll go out and I'll catch it. Well, two nights later, exactly that happens. At 3 a.m. in the morning, she heard something. She said, there's someone in there. And I go, no, there's not. And then the someone stumbled over something. I go, there's someone in there. <laughs> So we did exactly that. Uh, so I got my revolver. I opened the door. The bedroom, had the bedroom light was on, and I'm completely backlit, and I can't see anything in the living room. And I'm like going, uh, and the guy steps across a wind, uh, in front of a window, and he was backlit. So I pointed my revolver at him, and I just yelled at him, hit the floor, or I'll blow your head off. I couldn't even see him. He hits the floor. I go over, turn the lamp on, um, hold him for about five minutes until the police arrive. Uh, I actually pinned him up against the front door, which the door that that was the one the officers that were knocking on. I'm like, oh. So I told him, stay right there. I said, go over to the patio doors, I'll open them. And so they walk in. And so I've got my gun on him. I don't know if you can see my hand. I'm pointing my gun at him. And by this time, in order to make him comply, I've cocked it in single action with my finger on the trigger. <laughs> and I'm aiming it at him, and they're not doing anything. So I drop it to my side, and I'm like, going, they're not doing anything. So I aim it at him, and these guys are just looking at me. And I'm like, going, you guys got this? And they go, yeah, we got it. And so, you know, I uncocked it, and they came over, and uh, 
uh, a recipe. And uh, I remember when it was all over, I thought, golly, I, that, that, that was cool. You know what? I was, I was calm. Man, I can't believe what a great job I did. So I said, hey, my throat is sore from uh, yelling. So uh, I'm going to get a glass of orange juice while you're taking the report. Do you mind if I do? He goes, do you want one? He goes, no. And so I grab it and then I slosh all the orange juice out of the cup because I've got such the adrenaline jitters. And then, you know, they arrested him, first degree burglary. Uh, he pled to it, spent some time, and I think he actually died in prison. Uh, but the point was being is afterwards, I'm like going, uh, I couldn't see him. Uh, he was holding a screwdriver. We were six feet apart. And I'm like going, I've got to get some training. And so, you know, 1980, didn't know where to go, couldn't afford to go to, uh, to uh, gun site. And then eventually in the early 90s, I was able to start my journey out the Texas Pistol Academy, where I eventually became an instructor and, you know, so on and so on. But what really drove it home for me was one was the power of having visualized and putting that plan into action. I didn't have to think about it. Wasn't a great plan, but I did put it into action and all the errors I made. And I said, that is something that I really need to think about. And so from that point, I really realized I need to have good skills. I need to know how to manage people. I need to know how to manage people in these situations. And I was also completely convinced that if I shot that guy, because I was contemplating shooting him, it was going to go through my door into the next apartment and hit those people. Because I'd seen that bullet go through a, uh, a tire rail, which, of course, wasn't realistic, you know. But I didn't know. But I just thought, how many people are in that place now that I was? That is, they've never given any thought to it. They're not prepared for it. Uh, they may or may not have a gun or they're being told to get a gun and they're being told, well, you need to get a shotgun. Uh, you need to get an AR-15. Uh, you need a J-frame revolver with plus P, you know, just, just a striker fired Glock, whatever. And they just, they don't know what they don't know. And it just seemed to me, it's like, okay, I'd like to kind of get the word out. And uh, I thought also the thing that I, I thought was, you know, probably most of your listeners, I'm just guessing, are people that are already into kind of what we do. That is, for the most part, I mean, there's some people that they're new to this, but a lot of them have been, you know, given some thought to this. They've been shooting for a while. Well, it's not the same for everybody. And so I think it's really important to take in stock. It's like, okay, what handguns, what firearms do I have? What would be the best firearm for me? Uh, am I skilled enough to use this knowing that I might, not only be a danger to myself, but maybe other people in my household. And I think there's just a lot to give some consideration to. And so that's kind of why I threw all this out. And I'm, we've got a really you know good team assembled here to discuss this. Well, let, let's go back and let's take you now, knowing everything that you know, but you somehow go back in time to that instant. Uh, what would you do differently? Um, Okay, being in an apartment complex, I would have installed a more robust uh, deadlock on that door. Uh, he was able to get through it with nothing but a heavy flathead screwdriver. He just pried it right open. Uh, the second thing that I would have done, and I'm still in that same position, I would have had ambient lighting. I would have left lighting on in that living room area, which is something that I do now. We could leave low-grade ambient lighting throughout our house. 
So I don't necessarily have to have a weapon mount block. Uh, the second thing is, if I knew someone was in there and it was just my wife and myself, there's really no reason for me to even come out of that room. I could have set up in a hard corner, you know, hard corner is going to be a corner on the same side that the door is on so that anybody that wanted to get into the room far enough to see me, I would see them before they would see me and they would have to actually protrude. I would have given that person verbal commands. You need to get out of the house. I have a gun. The cops are coming and I will shoot you. And from that on, I would have just, you know, shut up and let's just see how this thing plays out. Yeah, because them leaving your house is a victory for you. Yes, and I thought I had to hold that guy for, <laughs> you know what, I mean, God, I caught him, I caught him, man. So, you know, and I know a lot of people think that if you find somebody in your house, you have to hold them. The longer you hold them, the more dangerous that situation gets. And if you try to use force in order to cause them to not leave, uh, it may get violent and you may wish you'd never done that. So you can very say, hey, man, get out of this house right now. I mean, Craig Douglas in his armed uh, arm movement instructors class, I've taken that class, it's a 20 hour class. I've taken it three times. It's one of the best classes I've ever taken. He actually teaches you how to catch and release someone in your house that you don't want to hold. You know, okay, you've got your description. You make sure they're all the way out of the house. You see them go down the street, okay, lock the door. Uh, by then, 911 should already, you know, be notified and uh, law enforcement responding. But I would have just let the guy go. I don't, Wayne, do you have any insight off of, off of the, the story that Steve just relayed to us? No, uh, not specifically. I, I just am sitting there thinking about the light situation, and, and we might explode the Internet with this. But uh, I'm, I am not a fan of weapon-mounted lights for very many people. Uh, I think that they bring another level of complexity <clears throat> uh, that people can get in trouble with. It's almost a certainty if you have a weapon-mounted light and a, and a very, um, you know, a minimal amount of training or even a medium amount of training, it's almost a certainty that you're going to put that muzzle somewhere you shouldn't while you're using that light, either on, you know, <clears throat> either on a potential suspect, a family member, whatever it might be. Um, I, I really believe that most people are, are bet, should spend more time or as much time on, on choosing uh, good lights, good handheld lights, and how to use them as they do on the shooting part. Uh, the, you know, I think it was Claude Werner has done a little bit of uh, internet research that indicates that up to 90% of the contacts or anomalies that you experience while you're in the house thinking it's a bad guy or either nothing at all or somebody that belongs there or has a reasonable reason to be there um you know if, uh, i remember one shooting we worked where a guy killed his wife because all he did was buy a gun and no training and uh she, alarm went off and she apparently jumped up to turn it off and came back through the bedroom door and he shot her uh it was and one thing about those shots like that that are poorly judged is just about all of them go right to the center uh, would be a, a that are 10 ring shots. I don't know why that is, but I think, I think the light situation is just as important as the gun situation. Mm -hmm. 
Jamie, Jamie, in your conversations with your ladies group, did they mention anything about concerns over teenagers coming back in the house in the middle of the night? Like they've snuck out and they've come back and making a mistake, just as Wade described. Was that something that came up in, in their concerns? Not necessarily teenagers, but their children getting up at night to maybe go to the restroom or get a drink of water or they're not feeling well or sleepwalking, honestly, especially with children. Um, that was a concern that, um, I, and I've heard that for, for several years. I don't have children myself, but um, I, I could see how that would pose a problem. I've had, you know, my nieces and nephews and um, family members staying with me at different times throughout my, um, my life. And so I could see how that would be a definite concern. And I'm with Wayne on the the uh, weapon-mounted lights as well for, for the same reasons. We do handhelds. Yeah, uh, you know, a good simple verbalization, as Claude often teaches us, who's there? Yeah. <laughs> and if it's, it's me, Dad, or it's me, Mom, <laughs> okay, that probably answers your question as to who's in the house. Uh, if it's feet running away, uh, that's probably somebody that shouldn't have been there, and it's probably a good idea that they leave. Uh, I tell this, this, this. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but just the front part of this is easy to my standing your ground class. The strange thing about teenage girls is that they attract teenage boys. And if you have teenage mm -hmm. daughters at home, yeah, there may be a chance that teenage boys are coming over, or teenage girls have snuck out to meet teenage boys. Or teenage boys have stuck out to me, and they're coming back home, thinking they're going to going to sneak back in. Now I lived way out in the middle of nowhere. I, if I'd have snuck out, it'd have taken me two days to get to town to, to actually see somebody. But uh, you know, that's something that if your parents with with children at home, that you need to be aware of, and that not every bump in the night is the bad guy that has come to kill you. More probably, it's someone that should actually be in the house. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so we have kind of a way around. Well, it doesn't prevent everything, but <clears throat> once uh once everybody goes to bed in our house in the evening, uh, our alarm is set up on an instant mode to where if if any perimeter door or window gets cracked, it sets off a horrendously loud uh, uh, alarm. It's ours is a Yelp siren. And, uh, it's, it's gone off. I think of, I can think of, well, I've, we've all set it off accidentally, but, uh, normally what it is, is we had one where a door wasn't, wasn't fully closed and it cracked open a little and set off the alarm. And man, there is nothing that gets a hold of you like that. So that sneaking out or sneaking in is basically, uh, prevented by that alarm panel and, and that perimeter protection, um, we, we use it every night. It's, it's a, it's, it's a, a part of the routine of getting into bed. And I, I think it has a lot of value because it does two things, uh, like Steve's deal, your, your bad guy got into your apartment and you didn't know it. Uh, <clears throat> so you want to know if somebody's trying to get in it all and, and know it instantly. And also that, that audible alarm, if you've got a typical crook and not a committed sociopath of some sort, when that alarm goes off, he's going to leave. It's, it's going to cause them to take flight. Yeah. 
you touched on uh, before we started recording the difference between someone who flees when they've been discovered and someone who doesn't. And I think now is a great time to to go into that. Yeah, most of them, most of these folks, if they get discovered, they're going to want to get out of there. If they're just a pure burglar, uh, if they're a pure burglar and thief, if they get confronted or or get surprised, as long as they have an escape route of some sort, then they'll take it. And in fact, if you confront one, like Steve was alluding to, you, you want to invite them to do it. Just, you know, get out right now, leave this house. And if they leave, you know, it's, it'll lock the door behind you. If you can, there's a good chance that door is not lockable anymore uh, and, and call the police. If they don't leave, uh, you have a problem. You have a big problem because if they are not leaving someone's abode uh, after they've been discovered, then I think you can start connecting the dots that there is some evil intent on their part. Uh, I know that some people are probably listening right now. They're going, why is it my door lockable anymore? It's because you don't have a door frame anymore. <clears throat> yeah, you may not have a door frame or the deadbolt may have been compromised or whatever, um, but your door uh, very well may be destroyed. Yeah. Uh, something else you mentioned just a moment ago about your alarm. What Wayne was describing is the proper use of a home alarm system. If you are envisioning that while you're gone from home and your home alarm goes off, that every cop working in your jurisdiction is running lights and sirens to your house to save your stuff, it ain't happening. It's not. False alarm calls are probably the biggest, that and reckless driver calls, probably the two biggest things that come over the radio and or most frequent things that come over the radio not the biggest and it's it's not a priority call and that you're running the lights and sirens and everything because typically it's a false alarm uh, because your connections have gotten corroded it was installed shoddily um any number of things your dog is running around in your house and a set off your motion detector it's kind of a routine thing and you know, there's going to be a response, but it's not going to be a amazingly fast response. And, you know, another way, I'm not suggesting that you experiment with this, but the next time you accidentally set off your home alarm, start walking around and picking things up under your house and see how many things you can pick up and walk out with in the time that it takes for your alarm company to call your phone. Because that's how much stuff someone could have grabbed and run out of your house with in that amount of time. Yeah, most of those cases... Most of the residential burglary alarms, or not burglary alarms, but burglars that we caught, I, I would always ask them, I said, how long do you spend in the house? Never had one tell me he spent longer than five minutes. Most of them mm -hmm. said two or three minutes. You, you hit the bedroom, hit the master bedroom, looking for jewelry and cash uh, <clears throat> and guns, and make a quick sweep through there, uh, maybe a quick sweep through a study if they wanted a computer or something like that, and then they were out of there. and. Yeah. If you get a police response on a burglar alarm uh, inside of 15 or 20 minutes, that is rocket fast. Uh, uh, common scenario we see is they break in, they grab a pillowcase off the bed, fill up the pillowcase mm -hmm. and leave whatever they can get. That's how much stuff they take is what can fit into that bag. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Um, anything else you can think of, Wayne, from, from burglar stuff that we need to relay? No, not right now. Uh, 
I'm, I'm sure something will come up and we might clarify it, but it's, it's, uh, I, th I think we've covered the ground pretty well so far. Jamie, do you have any questions from anything we've said? Um, no, not yet. Okay. Anything you want? Hopefully to we'll cover a little bit more on the, the more violent stuff like the rapist and stuff that Wayne okay. discussed earlier. Okay. That is always a concern, especially for us females. Sure. Steve, uh, you got any, anything you yeah, want? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I'd like to maybe kind of pile in on what Wayne said uh, about that person that won't leave, uh, you know. Uh, still, what we're looking at, uh, what's in place? Uh, does this person have intent? Uh, does this person have the opportunity? And does this person have the ability to seriously injure, kill, or commit, you know, certain forcible felonies like sexual assault, kidnapping, uh, some other things like that. Uh, if someone is in your house and even if they are unarmed, it does not mean that they are not a potentially dangerous threat. Uh, I cannot tell you how many people I know uh, based upon my martial arts experience that I have, especially Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, that have the means to overpower another person and literally kill them with their bare hands. And so in many instances, uh, the, the movie script that we have where the guy's standing there with a, you know, a ski mask and a big butcher knife, it may not take place. It may be some skinny little wiry guy that looks like he couldn't find his way, you know, out of a paper sack and uh, who is just like chimpanzee straw and that'll kill you with his bare hands. And so that may be what you're facing. And so kind of get out the idea, not have the idea in place that I know exactly what this threat is going to, to, to look like. And uh, the other thing is, is just be very mindful. I mean, the last podcast, much of that focus was on choice of firearms. Okay. Well, of course, uh, actually, I'm a, I'm a big advocate uh, for home defense. Uh, I prefer striker-fired pistols. And the reason for that is that when I need to move from my room up to another room where I have a household member, uh, I need to have my hands unencumbered. Uh, I need to have that ability to use a handheld light and I may need to open doors. I need to have that free hand. Uh, when I was on the special response team, uh, not that it, we didn't have anything dramatic that ever happened, but what we did was we'd have a guy with a long gun, a guy with a pistol, a guy with a long gun, guy with a pistol. The pistol guy, he opened doors, he put hands on suspects, he holstered, made contact. I think that ability to do that as a default is probably way more important than being able to shoot a weapon like an AR-15 or a shotgun. Now, having said that, if you're able to Alamo up in your bedroom and not leave that room, and you do have access to a shotgun. I would really prefer a shotgun over an AR-15. Uh, I can't think of a more effective weapon to stop someone that's coming into my room that has broken in. I've told them to leave, and they continue to come in. Because in that instance, I definitely do want something that I can shut this guy down, uh, maybe with just you know one or two shots. But I think that's important. You know, when you hear all of this talk about, okay, what's the ideal household defensive weapon? Uh, you know, just think of what, what do you think you're going to have to do with it? And in many instances, you may have to leave your room to go to another room 
And uh, going back to the ambient light is that if you have that low lighting throughout your house and you're familiar with your household plan, uh, you can have a handheld light that you can pretty much see what's going on without having to, you know, use a light to, uh, you know, light up an area in order to see if someone's there. Sure. Um, the people that listen, the audience size for the audio podcast version of this show is easily three times uh, the number of people that watch it on YouTube or now the videos are available via Spotify as well. So I know that most of the people that are partaking of this episode are listening to it as they're driving to and from for work. So folks, uh, take note of the time index. We're at about 43 minutes or so into the show, maybe a little bit longer. You're going to want to go back and Find this section of the show on YouTube or the Spotify video, and I want you to watch Wayne's face light up when I ask him to tell this story. Wayne, you have actually interdicted a rapist about to rape someone. That's, that Twice. Rare, rarely happens. <clears throat> rarely happens. Uh, and I, I've seen you tell the story, and I see the excitement on your face when it happens. <laughs> so, so tell us about that instance. That was... You know, I, I tell people that at, when that took place, I just barely completed my rookie year. And uh, after I after that happened, there was no way you could have gotten rid of me at that job with all the dynamite you could have come up with. But it was, I was uh, a very salty one-year, 22-year-old officer, had, had a year on the job. Oh. And uh, I was working evening watch. Um, it was dark. It was summertime, and I had driven down the backside of an old beat-down strip shopping center in, in, in my beat, and I was about to pull out the end of it back out onto the parking lot in the street. And I had my lights off, and when I was getting ready to pull out, I looked across the street uh, from this shopping center, and there was a what was then a, a Baskin-Robbins ice cream store. And I saw a guy in some shrubs beside the, the Baskin-Robbins. And I stopped and backed up and got out of the car and, and started watching around the corner of the building. And this guy was, you know, to use a Texas phrase, he was hunkered down in the, in the bushes. And I, I started watching him. I was like, wonder what this guy is doing here. And a car pulls into the Baskin Robbins as an 18 year old girl driving the family Chevrolet. And she pulls in and gets out. And as soon as she got out and started walking in, he immediately locked down on her. I saw him focus on her visually and, and, and track her as she went into the store. So I thought, hmm, he's, he's really interested in her. And uh, he comes out of the bushes, sneaks around to the back of her car. And then I knew I had something going on because he reached into his pocket, put on a mask, and got a knife out of his waistband tested the back door on her car and it was unlocked and he crawled into the back floorboard and uh i recognized the guy he'd just been released about six weeks before from the texas penitentiary uh for an aggravated rape and an aggravated kidnapping he uh he laid in the floorboard uh for some time and every once in a while he would raise up and look around still had the mask on and i was watching him from about 35 yards away and Baskin Robbins, and like all ice cream stores that I have any experience with, if you're going in to buy anything from them, they're usually dog slow. Uh, and so I was calling for help. There was no cover units available. 
And I, uh, I kept on watching him, hoping that somebody would break loose. And I was thinking, well, you know, Baskin-Robbins is slow, so it'll be a while before this girl comes out. Baskin-Robbins turned in a very efficient performance that night. And, uh, and I see her walking out of the store uh, with this ice cream. Uh, and, and as a sidebar, people that haven't noticed it, if you're inside a lit business at night, uh, everybody standing around out in the dark can see you really, really well. And you can use that to your advantage. You know, if, if you, you know, if you're pulling up to a convenience store or something at night and you're out in the dark, look around inside and see what the light's showing you inside before you go in there. Anyway, so she comes out and I don't have a cover unit. And I thought, I can't, I can't let that girl get in the car. So I jumped in my squad and blasted across the street as she was walking out of the store. And she came out and she's holding this bag with ice cream in it. And I yelled at her. I said, don't get in that. I said, get away from that car. And, uh, she, she looked at me like I was nuts and said, but it's my car. And I says, get away from the car. And about that time, this guy sits up in the back floorboard with the mask on <laughs> and she figured out why I was telling her not to get in that car. Uh, and she, uh, she dropped the ice cream and screamed and ran back inside. And I had, I got the guy out at gunpoint. He wouldn't drop the knife. Uh, he finally dropped it, but I had already drawn a little invisible line on the ground that if he crossed it, I was going to shoot him mm -hmm. and got him proned out. And I, by that time I could hear sirens coming from everywhere and just kept him at gunpoint prone until I got some help there. Uh, as an interesting aside, uh, the girl, when this happened was 18 years old, I was 22 and I'd often wondered what happened to her. Uh, you know, how, how things had gone. And last year, Debbie, my wife, uh, through, did some good research and tracked the gal down and uh, had her, she and her husband surprised Debbie and I at dinner, or she didn't surprise Debbie, <laughs> Debbie had it all tracked out. And, and uh, I, I couldn't believe it. She, I was sitting there in this restaurant because Debbie told me another couple was coming. I'm like, where are they? Are they running late? And I was sitting there, you know, talking and, and I hear this lady say, Officer Dobbs. And I'm like, I thought nobody's called me that in years. <laughs> and I look up and she says, yeah, I'm, I'm Carol. Uh, and, and gave her last name. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there just dumbfounded. And, uh, she, this is good Lord. This is, uh, 40 years later, uh, almost 40 years later. And she, uh, she's married, had kids, had grandkids. And it was it was a, a great closure to a, a great cop story. Um, but it was I caught two rapists like that within about 18 months. I caught this one and then I caught another one on a, a nighttime traffic. So well, is is a pursuit and caught him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was that was a car burglar. And that's what he went to the penitentiary for was was a burglary of a vehicle back when it was a felony. Oh, he got out after four years mm -hmm. and did it again. Sadly, that is the the way of things. Yeah. Sadly, how how many instances have you worked? Cause you work in metropolitan area. I work in in the right. country. Of like people spotting a woman at a store or something like that, and either following her home or abducting her from say, like a parking lot or whatever, and taking her back to her home, or following yeah. home and then doing a home invasion. Oh, uh, we had. 
that was a real common tactic uh, to follow people home. And where they, one of the things that uh, that helped the home invasion business so much was the proliferation of ATMs. Uh, and they'd see people hit an ATM for cash and follow them till they could rob them, follow them home, follow them, uh, see them shopping, you know, in a real nice store or nice mall and, and figure out that they had money and follow them home like that. Tom Gibbons has some particularly yeah. horrific stories about that, that style of crime. Yeah. Jamie, you said you wanted to delve into that topic some more. So what questions do you have? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Wayne may be as far as having stats and things, but um, a lot of things that the women, I mean, even myself, you know, are always concerned with as someone, you know, if they break in, you know, obviously they're going to have an ulterior motive. If there's, you know, a female, it could be an opportunity or it could be something that was planned um, all along. Um, and that is something that all women and especially women with children as well, because they can be abducted. Um, there's lots of, you know, sex trafficking and just uh, trafficking in general, especially for us where we live at, we're kind of in the corridor, the central of America with I-35 and 40 and 240 and all of the things. So we're, um, we're very vulnerable at times. And so that's always a concern. I would like, um, you know, Wayne, maybe to touch on that because we talked about it a little bit before, um, you know, if, if somebody comes in and they don't leave whenever you tell them to leave, that you've got a big problem on your hands and you have to act quickly, especially as a female. I mean, you're not going to be able to physically, most likely you're not going to be able to physically um, make them leave. Mike, go ahead. So I'm sitting there thinking, um, somebody that comes into the house, especially male versus a female victim, uh, has entered the house for no good reason. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about this as somebody, you know, that you know or something like that, but I'm talking about a, a pure stranger situation. Comes in the house, won't leave, uh, advances on you, uh, is displaying a weapon. Uh, any of that stuff is, uh, or is trying to take you somewhere. All of those, uh, oh, another one, wants to tie you up. All of those uh, are going to end uh, pretty much the same way with you dead. So if, if you have an intrusion like that, uh, there is, there's basically a very clear cut path of action and it needs to be implemented immediately without discussion, without begging or pleading or hoping and praying or anything else. Once, once they've had the uh, confrontation and the opportunity to leave and they don't take it, uh, they are, they are a deadly individual and need to be dealt with as such. I know as females, a lot of times, sorry, sorry, Lee. Um, I know as females, we tend to want to help and ask questions and um, engage um, even when it's not appropriate, especially when someone's in our house uninvited. So um, thank you for touching on that as well. Yeah, we've already mentioned Claude Warner, and he, he comes to mind here because he has a T-shirt, and, and the wording on the T-shirt is that when they go for the duct tape, it's time to make your move. Right. Uh, and when Wayne mentioned the get tied up uh, part, yeah, anyone that's trying to do anything like that, that's a line in the sand. That is time for an immediate, violent, ruthless response on your part. Uh, I, another thing I would say here is never get taken to crime scene number two. 
Yeah. If someone's trying to abduct you, you may get physically injured in in your counter response, but you fight like bloody hell at the abduction attempt spot. As much noise as you can make, as much injury as you can inflict on them, whatever, you do not let yourself get abducted and taken to crime scene number two. Yes. Wayne, any thought? Yeah, well, that's that's correct. And it's uh, some people will be uncomfortable with it. Uh, Some people won't. But when we talk about implementing these responses to someone that's uh, threatening to or that is clear that their intent is to rape you and or kill you. Uh, a lot of people aren't prepared to deal with it. They haven't prepared themselves mentally to deal with it. And they also haven't pre- prepared themselves physically. This is, this is kind of a, some people won't like this, but get up in the morning and put your dadgum gun on and keep it on till you go to bed at night. Have a gun on your person. You're not gonna, there's an excellent chance you will not have a time, have the time to retrieve a firearm. Uh, if you have a deadly force situation and it, it doesn't need to be much of a gun. It just needs to be a gun. I, I get up in the morning and I put a, a Smith J frame in a pocket holster in my pocket and it stays there all day long. Just it's, it's not much of a gun, but there is a gun. If somebody tries to force their way into the house or I unexpectedly encounter somebody, you know, while I'm going about my regular daytime business at home, that's creating, a, you know, a deadly force problem. Uh, just have the gun on there's, and there's no excuse not to, uh, because we are in the, we are in the middle of the good old days with regard to compact, reliable pistols and holsters to conceal. them. Yeah. And of course, one thing else to think about in the house is, well, as Wayne just said, keep your gun on you. And if it's on you, you don't have to go get your gun. But if you're somewhere in your house, other than where your gun is, there may be weapons of opportunity around you that may be better suited than trying to get past an intruder or whatever get to your gun. I often joke about this show being recorded in my kitchen, which I'm sitting at my kitchen table right now. And as Wayne started talking about the gun on him and everything, I said, well, I don't have a gun on me right at the moment, but I've got a loose off knife set sitting right next to me that I could do some pretty good work with. Uh, I've got a hundred and something year old cast iron skillet right here that I could use if I had to. Um, you know, so that there's, there's things other than firearms. And I think that's one thing that we as quote gun people get wrapped around their head is this, the answer to every question is a gun. And oftentimes that's not the answer to every question. And so if you're, if you're listening to this or you have people that ask you questions about this, okay. Wayne said he gets up and puts on his gun. Well, you can also get up and put on your OC spray. Mm-hmm something along those lines and use that uh, as some sort of means of deterrence and and getting away and breaking contact with an attacker. Uh, I was going to say stage OC by the front door. Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere in the entryway. If you can stage some OC there, if you get somebody that's, you know, trying to get into the house that maybe it's not completely committed. Yeah. Uh, it's been my experience that OC helps people with their commitment problems. Yeah. yeah. If they're trying to get into your house, there is a bad motive. Yeah. You can't let them get in there. Steve. Uh, one of the things I was going to say also is in our uh, managing potential threats in uh, public areas class, uh, we teach compressed retention shooting. 
And uh, the reason for that, and we explain it is, is that if you have someone closing in on you very fast and you try to shoot them using a traditional, you know, uh, extended stance, uh, they may grab your gun. If you are dealing with someone in the house and they are taunting you, I mean, I know both of you have experience with this, but people can get pretty cocky. They can get pretty brave They're when they're convinced you don't want to shoot them. And uh, they will use that uh, to move in on you, encroach upon you, and perhaps even get close enough where they can rush you and take that gun away from you. If you're in a position that you feel like I need to pull this gun in away from this person, it's probably times to say, does this guy hit all the, or this person hit all the, the checklist? Uh, intent, ability, opportunity, and if so, you probably need to get ready to press that trigger and do some training by simply doing, we just call it just that compressed combat ready position. You pull that gun in with two hands, get it right under your face. And if someone is trying to grab you, uh, you can still shoot them then. Yeah, and I guess that's another thing you can kind of touch on with the weapon mounted light thing. If, if the only light that you have is the one that's on a firearm and you're trying to search with that, you're actually exposing that gun to more opportunity to be taken away from you. you know, mm -hmm. As you're going down your hallway and you go through a door, if you're leading with the gun out because that's where your flashlight is, you're sticking it out past their doorway where someone can can grab it and jump you and if you think your gun can't get taken away from you uh we would invite you to visit our friend mr douglas and uh and see what he has to offer for you um hey leah i have something if i sure. could add absolutely on the, on the on the lady side of this um two things that i hear a lot is i have guns strategically placed throughout my house um and then also um I, I have a lot that don't think outside the box. They don't prepare, they don't think about scenarios. And so a lot of that I cover in most of, almost every single class, regardless of what the topic of my class is with them. I always have something that relates to mindset and to thinking about scenarios, about different things that could potentially happen because we all know that it's never gonna go as planned. It's never gonna, our gun that we have strategically placed throughout our house it's not going to be in the place that we need it, most likely, especially for something with the house, home, you know, for a home invasion. I would much rather have a gun on me um, or have the pepper spray. I'm a big proponent of pepper spray as well for the ladies. And I do a lot of classes with them with that. Um, we do a lot of mucking as well and try to teach them words and phrases. Um, because a lot of times they just don't, they don't think about what to say. And whenever they try to say something, they don't sound authentic. And uh, suspects see right through that and can take advantage of them very quickly. Um, so we try to find words and phrases that are authentic to their, to them and to their lifestyle. Um, I, I do have a lot of ladies that are in church and they do not curse. And it is very obvious whenever they attempt to because they just can't they can't make themselves do it you know and then there's some ladies that are pretty fluent <laughs> you know um but so i think it's really important that we get that out there that it's important that you you think about scenarios you train you have to think about your your mindset as well it's more like you said than just the gun yeah 
there's right. so much more, you know, to it, to getting a plan for your home. What about your family members, your spouse, your kids, get everybody involved. It's very important. It's important that you think about, you know, changes that are happening around you, you know, is there development going on? Um, do you live in an apartment complex where it's more concentrated population? Um, do you live in a rural area? Do you have security? Do you have an alarm? Do you use it? I have a lot of ladies that don't even use their alarms, you know, and um, we're, we're changing those things, but um, it's just definitely something that um, people need to think about. Well, that actually leads perfectly into two other things that we had said we wanted to discuss. That is pre-incident decision-making or pre-decision-making and then uh, planning and assessment as far as like what are your angles in your house where your backdrops. So Wayne, I'm going to go to you for discussing pre-decision-making and then when you're done, turn it over to Steve for to discuss uh, uh, assessing your plan in your house. When you say pre-decision-making, at least, you know. You're lying in the sand, that kind of oh. thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, we've, we've talked about one of them there quite yeah. a bit already, and that is the intruder that won't leave yeah. uh, when he's given the chance. And I keep on saying he because overwhelmingly it'll be a male. Yeah. Um, I can't ever – I mean, I remember catching or arresting some female burglars, but yeah. they were always along for the ride or good eye yeah. in for the guy. Yeah. Um, so you've got, uh, you've got that, that intruder that won't leave. Uh, especially like say if he if he ad aggresses on you advances towards you uh, challenges you threatens you uh, and they're in your home and your state law uh, provides for it and and virtually all of them do uh, you've got a deadly force decision to make and, and probably very quickly uh, don't if you sit there and threaten with the gun if you don't appear to be competent with it uh, bad guys read that just like the morning paper and, and they will take advantage of it. Uh, as for other pre-decisions, and this is into the crime prevention standpoint, uh, and that is you should have a layered set of protections around your, your residence, and it should start at the street, uh, and it should look like uh, a well-kept location, a well-lit location, especially outside exterior lights at night. Uh, it should include a good alarm system. It should get, include good locks and the use of them, tons and tons of these things happen because people won't lock their doors and windows. Uh, maybe a dog, not necessarily a big attack dog, but a, just a yapping dog that lets people know there's a dog there. Uh, cameras now are inexpensive. You can cover your entire exterior and, and strategic interior with, uh, with cameras that will be recording all the time that you can monitor from halfway around the world on your phone. So that's, you know, you, you want to think about a layered type of protection. Uh, you need to know your floor plan. You need to know uh, what your, you can plot fields of fire from your master bedroom, maybe. Uh, you know, we keep on talking about bunkering up in the master bedroom uh, if, if something like this happens. And Jamie's already mentioned it, and I, I was sitting there thinking about our situation. We've got a 16-year-old daughter at home. Uh, I can't bunk her up in the bedroom if I think somebody's in the house. You got to go you got to go do a rescue or a hold in place uh, to take care of them. So you have to have, it's, it's, you have to have a, a couple of plans about what your responses are dependent on who's home and not, and who's not home. Uh, another thing is uh, you need to have a plan for how you talk to the police. You need to know, everybody needs to know the address. 
daggum few home phones in existence anymore. So when you're calling them on a cell phone, all they're getting is your cell number. You need to, you know, you have to be cool enough to start putting the address on them as soon as possible. And uh, I, that's that's just some some you know some uh, salient points I can think of. Speaking of calling the police, what about when the police arrive and your link up? Because I was just thinking back to Steve's story. Uh, if he's sitting there holding this guy with the revolver aimed in on him, thumb cocked. Because I know what the old cops are thinking. You know, maybe if you shoot him, my crime rate will go down because it's, you know, everything. Uh, but, you know, if you're running through your house with a gun and you've called cops because of a burglary, you probably ought to have a plan for what you're going to do with that gun and how you're going to meet up with the cops. Or if you bunkered up into an upstairs bedroom and the cops have responded to your burglary call, how are they going to get in the house? How are you going to get the keys to them so they can get through the door? You know, there's, uh, you can take a, a boat uh, key set, you know, it has the float on it, maybe mm -hmm. bright orange, throw it out a window. Uh, it's not a good idea, I don't think, to secrete a key outside. Yeah. If, you, if you're relatively certain you got a bad guy in the house, then there's an unsecured entry point somewhere they should be able to, to take advantage of. Yeah. If it's really, if, if, you're, if you think the doors are locked, then you tell the police, kick, kick this door right here. Mm -hmm. Kick the door on the south side of the house. Uh, yeah. So that's, but you should... <laughs> Meeting the police with a gun in hand is, right. is always a really, really bad idea, uh, yeah. especially these days where you may not have some real salty seasoned folks. Yeah. Uh, you, you probably have a couple of guys that are trembling in their boots while they're, they're working this call. Yeah. And who qualified on a standard that allows them to miss the target six times, but they qualified. And yeah. the state's allowing them to, to uh, they, go out with a gun. Uh, you, they won't you miss you. Yeah, that'll be the one time they actually get a hit. Uh, you mentioned uh, the boat float. Another suggestion would be like a, a chem light, and you break the chem light mm -hmm. and throw it out. With it, the keys throw it. Yeah, throw it out so that it would light up and, and it would be readily seen. Of course, as you make a good point, though, is the, the bad guy got in there somehow. Yeah. Yeah, the cops could come in with that. Uh, Steve? Well, uh, what I'd like to do is I think everyone should take uh, an assessment of their own house. Uh, go look at your house. Where's your doors? Uh, are there any windows that someone might come into? For the most part, I kind of focus on around the doors, either, you know, the front door or the back door or the door there. Okay, that is a position or from, a position from which those people may emerge. Uh, if they kick the door and you're already in the living room, I mean, it's kind of like the fight's on. You're probably going to have a hard time making it to a gun. Uh, you're a whole lot better off if you already have a gun on your person. I'm like, I'm like those two. I have a gun on me all the time. Uh, it's not that hard to do it. Uh, for my daughter, I simply bought her a uh, little holster that goes in a uh, fanny pack that's designed to carry a, you know, a gun. So she can actually put that fanny pack on and she's got a gun on her. She's got her car keys. She's got her cell phone. That's something that you can use to carry around that house. And then I think about in my own situation, if I get into uh, a hunkered up position in my bedroom, which wall would I want to be against in which corner? And if I'm firing rounds and I miss 
or I have an unintended hit, uh, where's that round going to go? And is it going to go in some place where I know for a fact that I've got other household members? And by the same token, I don't necessarily want to hunker up in a wall or in a corner that maybe backs up to another bedroom where someone fires at me that I have to worry about rounds going through that. Uh, and then I think it's just really important to no matter where you are and where you stay is that you have some idea of what the, you know, where the fight might happen, where you might be when it takes place and how can that affect other people? And I've lived in homes, my home right now, uh, we've got, you know, it's those, that big Austin limestone rock. You can't dent that thing with a bullet. Uh, by the same token, I've lived in a mobile home when I was in college. I've lived in homes that basically, you know, were had wood siding and a round that I fired or was fired at me uh, very well could penetrate that and go, you know, outside that with enough force and velocity to hurt somebody. And so I think give all those things into consideration. Like I said, even in that goofy little thing that I was in, I'm still giving thoughts to where my 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 the penetration of the weapon, even though I was mistaken and where the angles were, I was giving thought to when I shoot this guy, it's going to go through him. Or if I miss, it's going to go in that other apartment. And I would just encourage other people to kind of look around and take stock. And uh, if they see anything that causes them some concerns, you know, do what you can to address it. Yeah. When I do a safety briefing for a class, I always touch on or emphasize that rule four implies that you have the ability to put the round where you intend for it to go or it's meaningless. Yeah. You can know, you can know your target. You can know its background. You can know what's to the right or left of it. But if you can't put that round where you intend for it to go, all of that knowledge is absolutely meaningless. Um, and the other thing, Lee, this is where we really factors in is to kind of perhaps what kind of firearm you feel like might be best for your purposes. Sure. Uh, you know, a uh, shotgun with double lock buckshot uh, will penetrate, you know, sheetrock. Uh, Tom shows videos of uh, shooting, I think, what was it, three eight inch plywood through car doors with, yeah. uh, you know, just that Federal LE 132 double lock reduced yeah. velocity buckshot. Uh, the other thing, uh, AR 15s. I live on a one acre tract. Uh, the closest house to me that I would have to be concerned about for an outgoing bullet is about 300 yards. Okay. Shotgun, not concerned. Rifle, big concern. You know, just all these things you need to factor in when you decide what is the best weapon system for me. And, uh, you know, sometimes it may be not what we have always been told. And I think our best weapon here is deterrence. Just just a hardened target to where people can't get into your house. Everything is better than any option that starts with you responding to someone in the house. Absolutely. Uh, uh, one last thing I, I want to touch on is that uh, property is just property. If you know, to use the old bunkered in the in the bedroom scenario, if I wake up and hear someone in my house and I yell out who's there and it's not someone that should be there and it's somebody's, if they're running out of the door with my laptop, my TV, whatever they could grab and go and they're leaving the house, that's just property. My best option at that point is for them to leave my house. It's not for me to go try to catch them 
so that they get out in three weeks or no bond and, and you know they've released them right back out on the street or whatever it's it's i want them to leave my house so that i'm not forced into the deadly force situation because we always imagine ourselves as the victors you know that we're going to win this confrontation the other team gets a vote and it may not go that way and you know you go confront this guy and it starts shots fired you may be cognizant of the background and worried about where you're going to send your shots to bad guy may not if they put sheet round through the sheetrock that's behind you and it kills your wife or your child or your husband they're just as dead you know them the bad guys leaving your house is the best option at that point and i'll throw it open to any of you that want to make a comment on that absolutely true i agree uh, jamie anything else that's come up from your discussions with your women's groups that you, you would like to bring up or have us address um i we've discussed a little bit about you know like you said you know like wayne uh referenced layering um you know the house and inside and out um i also being that i live in a rural area the type of property crime that we experience out here are tractors and trailers um atvs things like that so I think it's really important for people to consider putting their stuff up out of sight, out of mind. Um, we are very diligent in keeping things put away. Um, we keep locks on things, um, but we don't leave valuable items um, laying out, especially, you know, when we're not when we're not using them. I don't even like to drive my golf cart around a whole lot, you know, whenever I'm doing stuff just because I want to get it back, you know, locked up because, you know, we've had, you know, thefts of ATVs and stuff out here. Um, people just cut the fences and come in, you know, it's dark and, and whatnot. But um, I think it's important for people to, to put up your valuable items, um, close and lock your doors. Don't leave your garages open, you know, whenever you're doing things that's came up recently. Um, you know, we have, a, we have a gate to get into our property, you know, um, there's, you know, there's little, uh, alarms that you can put out there that are really inexpensive, 10, 12 bucks. And you can have an alarm out there if you don't want, if you can't afford to have it wired and stuff, you can get wireless stuff. There's lots of different options out there that you can do. Um, even, you know, for apartments, I talk about the little door stops, you know, that, if uh, they are moved, they make loud noises. We take those on trips and stuff too, but you know, there's lots of different options to help you prepare and to help layer, you know, that, that sense of security for one, but also to help protect you and alert you um, so you can get up and, you know, make that response as needed. Yeah. Uh I know Lowe's used to sell it. I don't know if it's still in their product category, but they had a product called Door Jam Armor. And it was like a different strike plate and everything that you could put into your door frame that strengthened it. And one of the common recommendations is to take out the little half inch screws that are holding your deadbolt and stuff in place and replace those with three inch screws. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those are just simple things that you can do to harden your home. Uh, another common thing is to put hurricane film on your windows. Um, you know, at a certain point, you're also kind of making a value judgment of everything that keeps a burglar out. Also, keeps firefighters out that might be coming to save your life. But uh, you know, you've got to make value judgments and decisions there. Uh, 
right. uh, Steve, you got any, anything else? Well, uh, the one thing I would say about security systems is you can actually have a security system installed in your house now in three or four hours, given the wireless systems that they have. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not that expensive. You can have them monitored, uh, put up your signs. Uh, we actually have our keypad so that it's visible, you know, through our, our, our door kind of has, you know, it's kind of that weird glass, but if you look through it, you can kind of see some clear, you can actually see our keypad and you can see that the thing is armed when we're not there. And just anything that you can do. The other thing we do is uh, we have a couple of uh, rescue dogs. Uh, one's a pit and one's half pit. And uh, they have access to the house. And uh, they, they, they understand that they're responsible for <laughs> our home security. And they let us know anytime anybody comes up around there. And just like Wayne was saying, you know, having a dog, I mean, their ability to sense things and hear things is so superior to ours. Uh, it's a great alarm system. And uh, when they, even the little small dogs, when they bark and they yap, uh, basically that gets people's attention. In many instances, that's all that it takes to discourage people from going ahead and trying to break into your home. One thing to, to consider about dogs, though, is dogs are going to protect the pack. They're not going to protect your property. If you're not at home, your dog is going to act completely different than they will if you were there because they're going to protect you but they don't care about somebody leaving with your laptop uh, the best guard dog i have ever had i still i have her right now she's 10 years old she is a nine pound terrier she's lost she was 11 she's lost a, lost a few pounds that has radar hearing to the point that if she is dead asleep on the couch she can hear a squirrel jump from the security fence in the backyard and land and she's to the door if i am home you will not approach this house without her noticing it and once she gets going the beagle comes out and her bark is enough to make you feel the vibrations in your chest as if someone's riding down the road with the bass booming uh, but i sometimes experiment like sneak home you know come in and like sneak in the house or whatever and i find them hiding somewhere when they've heard they've heard the noises outside or whatever and everything and and because i'm not at home there's nothing for them to protect now once i'm home little terriers all big and bad patrols the house and makes a big show of it and the beagle system barks at anything that comes up and down the road in front of the window but uh you know they go running well, off then having said all of that, though, we are talking about property versus talking yeah. about us. Yeah. And again, if the only time that that dog is going to become verbal is yeah. when my, I'm there or my yeah. wife's there or children yeah. or grandchildren, uh, yeah. that's just fine with me. Yeah, it has been my experience that burglars are not deterred by a dog if they enter an unoccupied house. Uh, that's just been my experience. We've come responded to burglary calls and found people's dogs running loose. Cowering. Yeah, cowering in the house or running loose because the you know the thieves kicked in the door and the dog got out. Um, I did solve an aggravated assault because of a dog one time. Uh, that that's a kind of an interesting story. And uh, uh, well, she will go ahead and tell it here. Uh, <laughs> had a had a lady come to a refuse to be a victim class that, that I taught uh, just free for county citizens, and she came up after the. Uh, the class was over and she told me all about her Rottweiler, just all about this dog. She called me the following week 
and was telling me something else. And again, she told me all about her Rottweiler. Months later, maybe a year later, uh, they, they get a call. Uh, elderly woman has been beaten. We later turned out she was beaten with a hammer. Uh, she's gone to the hospital. They give me the address. I respond to the crime scene. The sheriff responds to the hospital uh, to, to check on the victim. Um, when at this time, I didn't know that they had given me the victim's name. They just gave me an address. Um, I go, I pull up to her house. And when I get out and walk out, this huge Rottweiler comes running up to me. And he's kind of cowering and shaking. And I, I pet him a little bit. I was so worried he was going to jump me there for a second. Mm -hmm. And I go into the house, I'm looking at the crime scene and everything else, and the sheriff calls me, and we're kind of, what do you got there? You know, what's going on at the hospital? And as we're having that phone conversation, I notice a, a, a prescription bottle sitting on the kitchen counter. And I pick it up and look at it, and it's the name of the woman, because it was her prescription bottle, and I remembered the name. And I said, Sheriff, is it Miss? And I won't say her name on there, and he goes, yeah that's here sir and he named she had a, a personal assistant that you know, a caretaker that took care of her and everything i said where is she she said she, she's here now too and i turned around and i started yelling who was first on scene who was the first person here and it was one of the medical responders that had responded to the injured person call and like where was the dog when you got here he said the dog met me in the driveway i said that dog sleeps in a pillow right beside her bed right there I said, whoever was in this house, the dog knows because the dog would not have let him in the house. And it turned out she had fired a handyman that day. And when we started asking questions, they care. oh yeah, she fired so-and-so. We found him at a creek washing her blood out of his clothing. And I, that's just one of my, just how the whole thing, pay attention to what people are telling you because that, that dog story, her telling me so much about it, it stuck in my head that as soon as I saw her name, it was like, boom. I know what happened here. And uh, I, it's just one of my favorite cop stories to tell. Wayne, you got to tell your catching the rapist story. I had to tell myself in that aggravated assault story. So it's good. Uh, anything anybody else has got to close out with? All right. Uh, Wayne, how can people find you? Uh, <clears throat> they can catch me on my email at wayne.dobbs at yahoo.com. Okay. Anything you, you guys got upcoming through HITS? right now I, i'm teaching well anybody in san antonio area i'm teaching a uh, first responder uh in the middle of february at buck and does range in uh on the north side of san antonio carrie grayson uh i think you know her been or taught there mm -hmm. so that's that's what i've got going on right now very nice facility and you won't have to worry about the weather that's true it's no rice Steve, how can people get in touch with you about what you got coming uh, up? Palisade Training Group, ptgtrainingllc.com. Uh, we're teaching a uh, church security team instructor slash leader development course in uh, April at the Dallas Pistol Club in uh, June at uh, Tri-County Range in uh, Sherwood, Oregon, and in uh, August at Edmucks. Uh, last resort range in uh, Whitehall, Arkansas. Jamie? Um, you can catch me at OklahomaGunTraining.com. You can see a full list of all of my scheduled events. I mostly, like I said, I run a ladies pistol league, so that's mostly what my uh, efforts are concentrated on currently. We meet 
uh, going into 2020, we'll be doing twice a month. And then I, I do a couple like basic holster classes, OC spray classes, just little stuff like that. But I'm, I stay just mostly here in Oklahoma. Alrighty. Uh, I will be getting out my 2023 schedule uh, shortly. We had a training meeting at my full-time employment today to set our training calendar for the year. So now I can start setting my road calendar. Um, I do have a low light class coming up on December the 10th, but it's 70% sold out at the moment. Uh, so it's probably going to be gone by the time this, this episode airs. Um, and then I've got a sold out range master instructor class in January in Terre Haute. But I should have some stuff uh, both locally and on the road that I'll be getting posted posted soon. Uh, with that, I want to thank all, all of our guests for coming on tonight and to the audience. Um, we know that your number one asset is your time. And thank you to choose. Thank you for choosing to spend it with us.